behouden van de modder, de spanning en de sfeer. We gaan nog niet naar huis tot iedere ketting is gesmeerd. Hey folks, and welcome to episode 15 of Wiscrossin. I am your host, Zach Schuster, uh, here with you today. Wanted to say thank you to everyone who tuned in for our special off-season hashtag cross is coming kinda sorta episode with Max Ackerman. Seems like there was a real positive response to having Max on the show. And as one of our commenters on our Facebook page pointed out, that Road might be dead, but Max Ackerman is very much alive and he's awesome. So... I don't know if that is a harbinger of more road-related material to come, uh, but again, thanks to Max for coming on the show, and uh, glad that you folks seem to enjoy it. Speaking of roadies, although he does insist that his heart remains with cyclocross, my guest today is going to be Dave Blodgett, and we're going to be talking about cyclocross training. We're about three and a half, three, three and a half months from the start of the cyclocross season, so if you haven't already got a jump on your training, whether you be racing road, mountain bike, track or running, like some of you weird people out there, uh, there still is time to get ready for cross season and still have a good, successful campaign this fall. The reason I wanted to have Dave on is I owe literally everything I know about cycling training uh, to him. We were formerly members of the artist formerly known as the Team Magnus Cycling Jersey Squad for a couple years, and during a couple of those seasons of traveling to races with Dave, he taught me a lot about bike training, uh, the ins and outs, what kind of intervals to do, and uh, how to be more successful as a racer. I feel like I've achieved a modicum of success racing cross uh, and mountain bike. So I like the advice. It seemed to work for me. Uh, so I decided uh, that it'd be fun to talk to him. It's also a special edition because it's the first ever live recorded edition of Wisconsin. So excited to see how uh, that turns out. Dave offered free beer, uh, so it was kind of a no-brainer uh, to go head over to his house on the east side of Madison and record this episode. Uh, this will actually be a two-parter. Uh, Dave had a lot of knowledge to drop, so the first part will cover more of the background of training. And then in part two, in episode 16, we'll get more into the nuts and bolts and what you can do uh, to train to achieve cyclocross glory and perhaps achieve legendary status in the Wisconsin cross of our episode with Dave Blodgett of the Great Dane Velo Club, formerly of the Team Magnus Cycling Jersey Squad, on uh, cycling training. All right, so we have a Wisconsin first here. This is the first time we were ever trying a, a live podcast. And my first guest here is Dave Blodgett, uh, who I've decided is the Wisconsin uh, training expert. Are you, are you okay with that? I'm okay with that, uh, as long as everybody remembers that... Uh, there's this thing called appeal to authority. And whenever you hear somebody making a claim or sounding confident, that should be a red flag that you need to do your own research. All right. Well, there you go. A disclaimer from Dave. And actually, Dave and I, uh, Dave was smart. He, he, we, we started at the grad school at the same time. He got his master's. He got out. He's been making real money. And I, I just finished literally a week ago. Nice. Very, very, very big congratulations to you, Zach. And, uh, I've got to say, I've given you more bad advice over the years. <laughs> uh, before before we did before we got together today, I was pondering. Actually, on my bike ride home from work, I was pondering what we were going to talk about and thinking back to when I recommended that you join Team Magnus. And I, I'm sorry. Oh no, I man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say the idea for this came up because Dave and I actually and uh, Doug the dog is Doug he's not actually in the house; no. it's outside the house right he's now. He's going to make but... a few appearances though. <laughs> Um, but no, in 2014, Dave and I drove to a bunch of races together as part of Team Magnus, and I think he taught me pretty much everything I know about cycling training, uh, for better or worse. And in 2015, I think I had one really good month, uh, nice. you know, of my cycling career. So that's kind of why I wanted Dave to come on the show today. So, but you're still pretty fast, right? Both cross kind of and on yeah. the road. Yeah, I'm having a good a good first season as a Cat One on the road, and. Um... Got my first win as a Cat 2 last year in cross, and I think I might be at the peak of my physical abilities, but that's okay. We're, it's good. There you go. Speaking of appealing to authority, <laughs> he's pretty fast, so we'll go ahead and get started. Um, so our goal, what I wanted to do is just kind of, we're about three and a half months from cyclocross season, so you know some of you guys might be training, doing mountain bike, doing road. I don't think there's really any track cycling around. 
some weirdos like uh, Aaron Feldhausen, you run. That's just kind of weird to me. Yeah, that's really I, I know, right? Um, <laughs> so it's a good time uh, if you haven't started training to get started. So we'll go over some basics of training and kind of tap into some of Dave's knowledge here uh, about bike training. So just to start, wanted to. there's a bunch of terms we're going to throw around. And I think yep. that's one of the big challenges for anyone who's approaching training from a scientific standpoint is like we're talking FTP and VO2 max and... Yep. Um, so you want to get started? Just we'll start with uh, I guess threshold and FTP. Do you want to go ahead and tell us what that is? Yeah. Um, so a lot of so I think that some of these these kind of wonky terms are in reference to certain types of um, physiology or energy systems that we talk about when we're training. So um, FTP or functional threshold power is probably the biggest one and. Usually when we're saying functional threshold power, it's, it's your maximum output for an hour, right? Um, and it, it has some, it's supposedly tightly correlated with lactate threshold. Um, I'll, let, I'll let people look into the, the, the research and all the arguments around the difference between LT and FTP. But um, at the end of the day, it's, it's just a really good measure of your um, kind of peak cardiovascular output uh, that's more or less sustainable until you run out of sugar. Um, and it's the number one indicator that you're going to win a cross race, basically. Well, I was going to say, you just mentioned an hour. And right. so that's just kind of uh, reminds me of a cyclocross. Yeah. Well, and it just, it, 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 your, your muscles and your liver happen to hold about enough sugar to support a maximal hour effort. And so, so that one hour effort is a good kind of, you know, oxygen and sugar carrying and burning um, indicator of your potential, you know. And if you eat a lot, you can sustain that power for a little more than an hour. Um, but not pra- practically speaking, that functional threshold power is your one hour power. Okay. So, and I remember you telling me that you feel like you can kind of approach a cross race at, say, an elite level based on who has the better FTP, oh, yeah. has a better chance. I mean, there's a little bit of bike handling involved, but yeah. especially at the elite level when you get into guys kind of all being pretty good at yep. at handling their bikes. Yeah, that's, I mean, the, that so and that gets into VO2 max. Because, yeah, that's another one um, I asked about. Yeah, so so um, when, we're, when we're talking about shorter efforts um, where sugar isn't the limiter, your, your body's ability to deliver oxygen to the muscle is the limiter. That's VO2 max. Um, so... It's not just your lung capacity. It's, it's the whole system. It's how much oxygen can your body process um, in the form of usable oxygen to burn, to burn energy in, the, in your muscles. Uh, and it's, it's measured, my understanding of it anyway, is it's measured um, by how much oxygen you, uh, the, the difference between the oxygen you take in and the oxygen you exhale. Um, so you, you put on a mask and you measure this. And, and a lot of really good athletes do get their VO2 max checked. Um, not entirely sure it's useful, but um, it's a good concept and it's a good thing to be thinking about when you're training because you can train for VO2 max. Um, you know, you can go out and do five minute intervals, and those are going to be training your VO2 max, and you're going to be breathing um, to the point that you you kind of can't control it at the end of a five minute interval, right? And that's an indication that you've maxed your your ability to burn oxygen. Well, and if I remember correctly. That's one of the things that Lance Armstrong tried to argue, or they tried to argue about him, right? Is he had this superhuman VO2 max, yeah. and then it was actually kind of pedestrian. Yeah, it's, uh, it's well, yeah. We, we In retrospect. We won't go into that too much, but um, th- that's an important thing. To th- so with VO2 max, it's important to remember that just because you're burning oxygen doesn't mean you're using it um, in an efficient way. So there's, there's also, there's, there's a lot of uh, conversation about so this so-and-so's got a crazy high VO2 max. Well, maybe their efficiency is really low mm-hmm. and they just have a really high ability to burn oxygen, right? And, and so it's a much power output and how fast you're going is way more complicated than your VO2 max. But a high VO2 max is generally an indication that you're going to have a good five-minute, good 10-minute kind of uh, ability. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll get to that a little bit later chatting yeah. about that and some good intervals for that. And I think the third one that I wanted to cover was training zones. I talk mm-hmm. about training zones all the time. Um, my girlfriend, Amy, 
gotten her to talk about training zones, although they may be incorrect. So I know there's a couple different systems. There's one that does one through five with five A, B, C, D or whatever. There's one that uses seven. Yeah. What what kind of training zones, which system do you use? Um, I don't I don't prescribe to a, a, a dogma there, but there are a number of, of fairly um, strict dogmatic systems of zones that people do follow. Um I tend to, to think of them a little more fundamentally or conceptually. Uh, zone zone one is easy. Right? <laughs> uh, it's it's if you are breathing going zone one beyond what you would walking, you're doing it wrong. Uh, zone two is endurance. That's really anything up to you know moderate respiration. You know, it should be it should be like a fast walk or a jog, right? You're not breathing hard, your heart rate's but not pushing. Then you've got tempo, which is uh, you know, you're breathing you're breathing, but you're not out of breath at mm-hmm. all. Um, and it may be hard, it may you may be breathing pretty hard, but it's totally under control. Um, above that you have this kind of weird range that some people break into multiple zones that's sweet spot to threshold to just um, threshold kind of a, a, a boundary and not a zone um it's really your functional threshold power it's it's kind of the the edge of being out of control breathing mm-hmm. uh and then anything above that is i wouldn't talk about zones uh, i would think about how hard you can go for certain periods of time so as you go up higher you know you have how hard can you go for a minute how hard can you go for 30 seconds how hard can you go for 10 seconds some people break those into zones, five A, B, and C, or whatever it is. I don't, I don't find that much use in breaking those into zones. I just do intervals at those kind of intensities and call it a day. Okay. Yeah, I think that's kind of about the way that I approach it as well. I mean, I kind of call low zone three, you know, easier. Sweet, High yeah. zone three is like sweet spot, right, which yeah. is actually not very sweet. It's actually kind of hard. And we'll, well, let's, we'll, we'll talk, talk about some good that. intervals, let's too. Let's talk about that when we get to intervals. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's an important thing. Um, so another thing I know when I was starting training, there's all this talk about power. And, you know, if power is the new thing, there's also yep. heart rate. Yep. Uh, you know, so I think these come become important. These tools become important uh, right. at different levels. Yep. You know, at what level, so talk a little bit about some of the benefits of training with heart rate and power. And at what point in your cross career, your cycling career, do you need to invest in these tools? Because power is, I think heart rate, as I'm learning, is it's relatively inexpensive to get a heart rate monitor. And it does a pretty decent amount of good. But then a power meter is very expensive. So can you kind of explain what your thoughts on training with power are? So so I think there's two pieces to this. Um. One is understanding what you're doing in the moment. And the analogy that I've, I've uh, heard used to the best effect in my mind is you would never go to the gym and lift weights that are unlabeled, right? Yes. Um, why, you know, you, you, if you don't know the output, how do you know that you're doing something right? How, how do you understand what you're doing? Mm-hmm. And that's totally analogous to power, right? Um, if you don't know the, the, the amount of force you're putting into the bike and the, and the, the wattage that you're generating by the, the RPMs that you're turning, um, what are you doing, right? <laughs> it's by feel. It's, it's going to work because you're riding your bike, but um, you don't have a real good understanding of um, what you're really trying to accomplish, and you're not, you're not really getting at that. So that's one piece of it. It's that in-the-moment understanding of what you're doing. And you can get a little bit about that from heart rate, but heart rate is slow to respond. So mm-hmm. for anything you know, for anything that, that's under a 20-minute or so effort, heart rate is really hard to use to gauge your output. And so it's hard to pace any, any training intervals that are short using heart rate. And that, mm-hmm. that, but, but heart rate's also a really good indicator that you're either fatigued or when you combine it with power, it's a really valuable indicator um, to use. Uh, to understand your body's response to to the output you're generating, um, and there's if you go looking on Google and other podcasts and things like you, you'll get all kinds of um, interesting conversations about heart rate and power. Um, so so that so that in the moment understanding of what you're doing is really important, and that's um, it's also really fun. It's it's it, power is fun. Power, it's fun yeah, to have no, numbers. <laughs> it's, it's not, you know if you're if you're that if you're that person if you're if you're analytical and you enjoy that. It's a driver in the moment, and it's really it's really nice. Um, so, so the other piece 
that uh, is, I think, less uh, understood and less, uh, maybe, maybe more important, but less understood, is um, this idea of long-term training until the last week or how fatigued should you be based on how, how you've been training recently, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the big things that people use power for is, is they, they enter um, something we call training stress score or there's, there's other, other models that are out there. Um, if you get Golden Cheetah, there's open source versions of the same model. Um, and these are just models that, that take a, a training impulse um, the, the first one of these was was TRIMP, the, tra- the Training Response Impulse. Mod- anyways, yeah, uh, TRIMP. I think it was Training Impulse. Yeah, it's Training like Impulse, essentially. Um, that was a heart rate-based model. That one's actually science-regarded. Um, the, the TSS model that Training Peaks uses is questionable scientifically, but it works. It's totally wrong, as any yeah. model is, but it works very <laughs> yeah. well, right? So, um, so, yeah, so that's the other reason to use power, is to have these, long, these long-term training models to, to understand your your expectation of how much should I train, how much shouldn't I train, how much should I rest, um, and kind of what where should I be right now in terms of fitness and freshness? Should I go to intervals? Should I rest? You know, and having that understanding based on a model is really useful. So yeah, I guess maybe I have a comment and then another kind of question about that. So I think that historically I've had a huge problem with overtraining, and I think last year for me I had. It was rough. I had a rough yep. year and I finally got a uh, power-based trainer at least. Yep. And so I used to kind of laugh, you know, we'd be on a ride and literally you'll go on a ride and a guy will be like, hit my TSS for the week. I'm out. And like, I've seen this happen. I'm like, what the hell's wrong with these people? Um, you know, but Dave talks about this. It's called training stress, stress score. And it can really, especially if you are one of those people like me who trains too much or is, is, you know, sees people who are better than you and your first impulse is to go train more. I think it's really good for making sure, you know, as you mentioned, it keeps this long-term record to make sure that you're not overtraining. I think the other thing though, you know, with, with power, you know, what are your thoughts on kind of the ability of power to make sure that you're, I think it it has this way of making sure that you're training hard enough. You know, if you're doing an interval, like let's say I'm, you know, doing two by twenties, which we'll yep. get to again, what that is, yep. but to make sure that I'm actually hitting yep. where I can be because yep. my perception of how hard I could go might not be as high. Yeah. So that's an interesting, uh, there's an interesting dichotomy there. You call that your slave driver. That it was can the, be, yeah, oh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the power meter can, <laughs> can be your worst enemy or your best friend. Yeah. Um, there's a dichotomy there where, um, you may be motivated to go train, but you may not know. Um, if you're training hard enough in the moment. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and, and if you're motivated to go train a lot, you could end up really tired and, and you could end up getting yourself really tired with a bunch of crap, right? Yeah. With a bunch of junk, what, you, what some people <laughs> might call, end quotes, junk miles. Uh-huh. Um, which is, a, that's not really a thing. But the, the point being, um, if you do have a power meter, if you do track your... TSS, you do have, you use a performance model. Um, you're gonna you're gonna one be able to make sure that when you are trying to go out and train hard, you're training as hard as you know you can, right? Um, because you're training to numbers that you've seen before or numbers you you know that you're capable of. Um, and at the end of the week, if you've been training your butt off, um, you can see that you've been training your butt off, mm-hmm. and you can know by the numbers. Well. Yeah, I haven't done that before, and I should be tired, and it's okay that I'm, you know, I'm spanked, and I need to, I need to take a day off. So, so yeah, so it's, it gives you both of those, and, and so that's kind of the, the two pieces of this that I tried to outline, and you, you kind of brought it full circle there. That's good. So the question I think then becomes, you know, when do you get a power meter? So you know, you might be, let's say you're a, you're a cat four, and I think I know the answer to that is you can probably. You know, it's expensive. Power meters yeah. are expensive. Yeah. You know, you're looking at a base cost of $400, but for a really good one, you know, for example, our friends here in Madison Power yeah. Tap consistently been ranked Six. among the best. They can be much more expensive than Six, that. Six, nine, twelve hundred bucks. So when, yeah. when do you need, when do you need a power meter? Is well, this so, when you're going to make that jump from Cat 3 to Cat 2-1? Yeah, I've always justified my um, expenditures like that. By how much time I spend in the saddle. All right, right, and it really—it's a personal—it's a personal decision because nobody needs a power meter, right? Um, yeah. it, you can do all this stuff without it. Um, just like nobody needs a set of carbon tubulars. Uh, people beat me on 
aluminum clinchers all the time. Yeah. Right? Um, and people people that don't use power meters beat me all the time. <laughs> so so it really comes down to how much time do you spend in the saddle? How much do, how much do you care? Uh, and and is it something you're going to get use out of? Mm-hmm. Right? And and yeah, I would say most Cat 2 cross racers are probably going to be riding with power. Most, not all. Yeah. Uh, there's some people that don't just don't enjoy it. Travis Braun. Um, would that, never yeah. <laughs> would never see Travis Braun Teeters, touch a power meter. Teeters claims to not use a power meter. Really? The Hamburglar? Yeah. I don't know. I don't Anyways, know. <laughs> um, if he ever comes on the podcast, we'll have to ask the yeah, Hamburglar what's so, up with that. <laughs> so, you know, and then, then there are some um, Cat 5 guys that it's a good time. They can afford it. And why the heck not? Just do it, right? And But the, the last thing I'll say on that is if you're going to hire a coach... You're gonna have a power meter. Okay. If you don't have a power meter and you have a coach, your coach isn't coaching you right in this day and age. Yeah. Because the relationship between an athlete and a coach, in general, revolves around this performance management chart that we've been talking about with TSS. Right. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have to, but generally it, it does. Um, and having that, having that that um, indicator of how much uh, bo- both pieces. What what uh, power are you doing your intervals? How, what power are you doing your rides at? And um, how much stress have you done over the last while? Like having a coach, having a power meter in between you and your coach is really important. Yeah. So that's that's another time when you would you would obviously uh, get that kind of technology. Yeah, so. I will say I, I guess from my personal experience, you know, this winter I had a trainer with power to the yeah. Cyclops power beam. It yep. was awesome. Yep. I really helped my training over the winter, but you know, from the road, I still, being a recent PhD graduate, I have no money. Uh, so I've been using the heart rate monitor, and I think I, I personally feel like the heart rate monitor can be useful at least for, you know, again, back to all models are yep. are wrong, but some yep. are useful. I've been yep. able to cop together, so I can calculate my TSS to within ten or twenty per ride based oh, yeah. on. But it helps you have. I feel like in a way you kind of have to have that power meter to gain that experience. So there. Are- Golden Cheetah calculates Trimp 100, yeah. which is a it's a Trimp score normalized to 100 for an hour, which basically makes it equivalent ish to TSS. Uh-huh. Um, so and and Training Peaks also calculates a heart rate TSS. Um, you know you can correlate heart a, a heart rate indication to a, a power model. It's not perfect, but it, it's useful. Um, and the other thing I would mention on that, and this is a little foreshadowing into talking about intervals, um, when I write down my five by fives. I write down my average power and my peak heart rate for mm-hmm. every time. Every time I record those numbers, my average power for, 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 for each interval and my peak heart rate for each interval. Uh, and I can pretty much ride a five-minute interval based on my heart rate ramp, right? And I know that the first one is going to ramp more slowly than the last one. Like I pretty much know how that's going to come together. But you can totally pace yourself based on how fast your heart rate's rising Yeah, if you have to. And it's not... It's not it's as perfect, but it's really not that bad. So. Well, and I think you mentioned heart rate and the pairing of them, and yeah, yep. I think actually yep. Bellow News has a really good podcast. Yeah, where they talk about yeah. this, but that Fast Talk podcast is yeah, yeah. But if I've you, also, if you can tolerate those guys. It's worth listening to. But I've also experienced <laughs> your heart rate can tell you there's days that you just quit. You know, if you're if you can't get yeah. anywhere near that peak heart rate, you just yeah. say, you know what, today's zone two, I'm yeah. out. Or, and I think that physiologically, it tells you that because there's days that you just. You're, you don't have it because you're overtrained or you're stressed out or something. Yep. yep. Sometimes you want to be there. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, honestly, sometimes sometimes you should expect to be there and you should train through that because that's the point of that training day. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, there's a lot of, yeah, anyways, that's, a, that's, okay. a, that's an important thing. Sometimes um, you want to train hard when you're tired mm-hmm. and you should be like, yeah, I'm tired. I'm going to train hard. Let's do this. Right. That's not every day though. Yeah, and some some days you do want to say, ah, I should be fresh today, but I'm not, and my heart rate tells me that, and I'm going to stop. Okay, so. well, sweet. Well, and actually, the Velo News podcast is a good lead in because they had another of these. These are the Fast Talk podcast yep. that yep. Velo News has done. You should check them out. Uh, they have some that are pretty good. Uh, yeah, primers on training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Good trainers on priming, and they are yep. good primers on training, yes. <laughs> uh, and they cover useful stuff. So there's this question of uh, um, volume versus intensity. Yeah. So we'll start with volume. Okay. You know, what is volume? And uh, maybe the best way to, the best segue is your favorite term of base training. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe tell us a little bit about, you know, I think if you are just starting your training for the cross yeah. season, this is a yeah. good time to talk about base training. Or perhaps Dave doesn't really like the term so base log, training. So log on to Strava 
look at the people that are beating you in cross and guarantee you they're riding their bike as much as you are or more. Mm-hmm. And when, when, when it comes down to it, you got to ride your bike. Um, regardless of what you're doing on the bike, you got to ride your bike. You've got to put in the time. Um, the, you know, you got to put in the cycles. And, um, I mean, if you're going to be, if you're going to be up there, if you're going to be going into threes and twos, you're going to be putting in 10, 12 hour weeks in the middle of summer. Uh, probably more if you're not super talented, like some of us, (laughs) um, you know, getting into the end of summer, you're going to be putting 15 hour week or two, right? Not all your weeks are going to be that big, but you're going to have a few big weeks. And you just got to put in that volume. You've got to go for some five, six hour rides. You've got to ride five, six days a week. Um, and that's, and that's all I have to say about it, really. It's, you just got to ride your bike. Okay. So, and if you don't ride your bike, you're, not, you're just not going to be able to you know, keep your body at that level where you're burning about 1,000, 1,500 calories a day. Mm-hmm. And your body's able to recover from that every day. So you can get up and train middle of the week and then race on the weekend and get up and train in the middle of the week and race on the weekend again. So, so why don't you like the term base training? Because you always hear and everyone makes the all about that base jokes about Strava yeah, all winter. Yeah. So, the- so um, that's so base training is is a, a and um, basically periodization is saying do do one thing to build a certain kind of fitness and then have that lead in a linear way into the next type of fitness you're trying to build to the next type of fitness you're trying to build. And the way that that's generally gone with linear periodization is base training, which is mostly endurance pace. Then that then you you go a little bit more into kind of VO2, um, a little bit of, of power work, and then you finish all that off with sprint work, right? Well, if you don't do any VO2 max work in the dead of winter, uh, you're going to get to spring and you're not going to have that VO2 baseline to build on. And if you're only so if if you're only doing base training, you're you're gonna lose your the little sprint that you need to have. You're gonna lose your VO two. Um, you're gonna lose parts of the energy system that you need to maintain throughout the season. Uh, so, just ride your bike is really what you need to do, and maintain some of the energy systems that are important later in the year is the rest of what you need to do, right? And then as you get into race season, yeah. Tune up, tune up the things that train quickly. So tune up the the VO two max stuff. Tune up the sprint, uh, and and tune up your anaerobic. Go do you know 10, 10 minutes of thirty seconds on, thirty seconds off kind of stuff. But don't do that in winter time, right? Maybe do one of them just for fun to make sure you're still capable. But <laughs> but focus on that stuff later, right? So so it's it's you want to tune this periodization concept functionally. You want to make sure you're not losing fitness at the wrong time. You want to make sure you're gaining fitness at the right time, um, and and boiling it down to base versus your prep, you know, whatever period. It, it just yeah. Anyways, there's not quite a much, enough nuance for me. Yeah, well, I think kind of so what I've rant, gathered. Rant off, sorry. No, it's fine. Well, I think kind of what I've gathered from uh, folks. So I come from. I played basketball, right? And so you know, it was. If you showed up at the start of basketball season and you were just like, hey, I'm here for practice and you hadn't been working your game, you know, especially basketball is a very skill-based sport, yep. like, you weren't going to be very good unless you're one of these very talented people. Yep. And so I always find it interesting folks who are you know, all winter, they're like, I hate the trainer, I just ride easy. And they're like, because they're riding you know, zone two, this endurance pace, yep. they're like, I can only do an hour. Uh, and I think you, know, you kind of told me, you were like, have some fun. Right. So during the winter and... My understanding is no more than two hard days per week, yeah. really ever. Yeah. Yep. Um, but it's kind of it's the polarization model, right? Yep. Um, yep. And so maybe I was actually bicycling. Just had something that popped on my Facebook feed. They were talking about polarization. Yep. But if you are time consumed, it seems like that might be the way to go. Actually, to make up for some of that is to actually yeah. work hard on the trainer and make it yep. less worse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's this. How do we want to get into this? The the, the so you have to put it if you want to have a high if you want to have a high functional threshold power, you have to put in the time. Um, but you can cheat that a little bit by doing extra VO2 work, right? Um, you can put in a lot less time and have ninety percent of the FTP 
mm-hmm. by riding six hour weeks and doing really, really good VO2 max intervals midweek. Nice and fresh, right? Yeah. If you time it right and you nail that workout, you're going to get a lot of benefit. Um, you may not have a good two hour power. You know, you may not have, have trained those, those base endurance. Um, so, so yeah. So sometimes in the winter, if you're time crunched, you don't like riding the trainer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. having hip surgery, unfortunately. Oh, no. But he's a teacher and his only time to ride is from like 5 to 6 a.m. Yeah. And so he just does a ton of really short, intense intervals all winter because he wants to be able to hang on the brew ride. Right. You know, but on a longer road race, he'd be kind of, he'd yeah. be in trouble. But like yep. for a brew ride, the Capital Brew Ride right. here in Madison, it's about a one hour, about a one hour cross race, cross race. <laughs> yeah, sure. with the fastest guys in the state yeah. of Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's fun. Local beat down Yeah. Right, so that's kind of what you're you're yeah. getting at. Yeah, you got to be honest with yourself. You know, if you're not if you're not riding ten hours a week, you're probably not going to be good on a two hour or a three hour or a four hour road race. It's not going to happen. Yeah, um, but you'll probably be able to show up to a crit, or you'll probably be able to show up to a cross race and and hang and be okay. You know, um, yeah. So yeah, and that seems that's one of the things that is appealing about cross, maybe for the more the busier folks that mm-hmm. you can kind of finely tune. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there still is an advantage for guys who put in big miles and who have the ability to to train a little bit more, maybe. Yeah, but yeah. you can compensate. You can yeah. do quite well, especially if you're a Masters. You can probably compete for podiums, especially for sure. here in Wisconsin, for by sure. doing kind of this more yep. uh, different type. So with intensity, getting stepping away and going to a more traditional approach of doing 10 to 15 to 20 hours a week. Uh, well... <laughs> Uh, what we were kind of talking about yeah. before, there's this. It's called the eighty twenty rule, or it's one of the things you might hear bandied about. Yeah. So, what is the eighty twenty rule with respect to intensity? So, I'm not super familiar with this rule, but it's roughly the fraction of I'll, of endurance to intense work. Yeah, yeah. So let me like let me just break down a week. All right, right? that's let's do that. This is and it, and it comes out to eighty twenty. So that's right. Um, you your body is only going to support. One and maybe two days of um, over-threshold workouts, if you want to think of it that way, races, workouts, whatever they are, um, a week. And if you're you're consistently getting two days of high-quality, you know, over-threshold, we're talking five-minute intervals, three-minute intervals, one-minute intervals, whatever you're doing, you're, you're pushing it if you're doing that consistently twice a week. Um, people that are doing it three times a week, that's uh, in, from my, my experience. It's not sustainable. You're, mm-hmm. you're going to break down, in, and you're not going to you're not going to break down physically necessarily. You may break down mentally first, <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the in the end, um, you're you're just going to end up feeling tired and not be able to turn out the numbers that you want, right? And you, so you just got to rest. But you can rest. You can rest by riding two hours endurance pace, right? You can. People call this the recovery ride. There is no such thing as a recovery ride, by the way. <laughs> um, and it, when you're riding your bike, you're not recovering. Um, but you can you can uh, execute a polarized training plan where you're doing a, a four hour tempo ride, right? And then two days later, you're fresh enough to throw down a five by five. Um, but if you had done a, a, a four hour ride with some, some threshold and, and VO2 hill climbs and stuff in there, it's probably going to be three days before you're going to want to do those intervals. Right. And, and so that's the, so that's the idea is you want to, you want to do something like two days a week. Um, time-wise you're really only doing maximum an hour of intervals in one of those days. If you're doing a crit, you're doing an hour. If you're doing a cross race, you're doing an hour. If you're doing a road race, you're going to be tired, right? <laughs> <laughs> and a road race usually is involves a lot of, of saving energy. You're not going to be on the front. You're going to be sitting in. You're going to be trying to, to... So really, you're only doing over-threshold work for max an hour in yeah. a three, four-hour road race, and that's really rare. So, But so when yeah. you do, you're going to feel it. It's going to yeah, be no, yeah, yeah. And if, and if you end up in the breakaway in a road race... You're going to be crushed, right? Yeah. And you should be, because you you're just not doing that. That's that's just that's just above what you're used to, mm-hmm. right? So so yeah, it, it, you're going to know it if you're open to doing it. And this is this. I'll come back to 
the performance management chart and tracking your training uh, week in and week out and understanding what your weekly volume is and what your weekly rhythm is based on a model of fitness and freshness is really helpful because then you actually know, oh, wow, I went hard this weekend. Maybe I feel good on Monday, but I'm not going to feel good on Wednesday, right? Because it's going to come around and I need to I need to take some time to recover. So maybe you do need to go for a two-hour easy ride on on Tuesday, mm-hmm. um, which is going to be valuable because you're going to be maintaining your energy systems. You're going to be building some endurance. Um, and then on Wednesday, you're going to be fresh enough to, to throw down a really high-quality workout, right? And, and using that polarization to, to get fresh while not losing fitness is really important. Well, and I wonder, I feel like I made that mistake many times in my life. I mean, I look back even, I look back last year at some stuff I did and I'm just like, well, no wonder you completely fell apart. You know, when I threw up my back, I think it had something to do with just being underrested and overtrained, yep. which we'll get to. Because uh, um, like I said, I've learned everything from Dave. So I already know what he's going to say about being, about saying that I was overtrained versus underrested. Um, but you know, I think that it's important to know that, that, um, you know, for people, especially as they're approaching this, I think there's that temptation, you know, cause I looked at it and I look at you, you one, you started before me two, you do ride more than I do. Uh, I started riding in 2012 ever riding a bike. Sure. So, okay. uh, so I'm like, I have to catch up. I need to work harder than Dave, but you know, I think I took that to the extreme. So I think that advice of no more, no more than two intense workouts a week and yeah. And then also for so for the, for an easy workout, you're talking about an easy. You know what do you prescribe? I've heard you know on a recovery day or an easy day, no more than a hundred watts. So we're talking no really easy. So you're saying a little bit harder than that. I mean, yeah. I mean, so an easy day is easy endurance, right? All right. Most of the time, you should be going at your endurance kind of where you would think your low endurance range is. Um, I think it is valuable to get your blood moving a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Um, you want to be careful not to, you know, ride out of the saddle more than a little bit. Commuting, I don't think, is all that good for for um, an easy day mm-hmm. because you're doing so much accelerating from from a stop. Yeah, um, I, I actually I, I have a hard time with that. I, you know, it, once I'm once I'm really fit, it's different, but. Um, when I'm not really fit, commuting can be kind of hard, right? Um, I actually really like commuting for cross season. In cross season, commuting yeah, is kind of nice. You can get some good start practice and stuff. I know, right? Like yeah. at those stoplights? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but, but, but that makes the point. You know, it's not easy. It's not necessarily – it's 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 junk miles per se. Um, no, so easy days are, are um, spin around Lake Monona easy. Like literally easy. Don't, yeah. You know, just never never let your heart rate come up. Don't breathe hard. Um, if you're going up a hill, use your little ring, you know, slow down, find a friend. It's a good day for a social it's ride. A great day. Great day for, social well, ride. A, a well, good social ride, not a, the great Dane Velo club yeah, goes on a social ride. Yeah. yeah <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so I mentioned rest, yep. you know, so how much, how much rest should you be getting a week? You know, let's say that you're committed, you know, you want to do this, you're going to do 10 hours a week, 12 hours a week you know, heading into cross season, how much should you rest? And what are your, what are your thoughts on getting rest? Um, your body's going to tell you, uh, if you, if you are willing to listen and that's really hard sometimes. Uh, when I was starting, I was always tired and had overuse injuries and all that. And that's why I hired a coach. Mm-hmm. And when I hired a coach, I learned, well, I got, I, he helped me understand, <laughs> um, what kind of rest I needed. You know, and we'd go on, we'd go on rides, uh, the Monday night meathead ride. We'd go and he'd say, oh, that's what you think easy is? Stop that. Right. And he would actually prescribe the, uh, for one, a, a real day off. You know, if you're taking a day off, you're off, you know, feet up, sit down, um, eat good food, eat, you know, sleep. Like take real care of yourself, and if you're not, if you're drinking, that's like that's like a workout, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of in terms of fatigue and and hurting and hurting yourself for the next day, and that means you're not going to be able to train well, right? That's not rest. That's that's not taking care of yourself. So so so, anyways, it's you know you need at least a day of off a week from my perspective. If you're not, you're, you should be going really easy. 
And you probably need another two days of eat riding easy, an hour, hour and a half, two hours of, of, of chilling out and, and taking care of yourself. So that, that's, that's kind of where, where I fall at. I ride 10, 15 hours a week, depending on the week. Yeah. So. Well, and actually, it's a rest day that made this podcast happen. So yeah. Day, I, I had a wars race yesterday, and yep. Dave is kind of in a transition I'm week. Gonna, He's yep. going on vacation. I'm not off so. the, I'm not actually, yeah. And that's that's the other thing, is let your life let your life have space in your training. You know, don't let training dictate your life. Let, you know, let let training fit into your life. And for me, yeah, I, I commuted to work as hard as I could today. <laughs> I got no races coming up, and yeah. I wanted to have a good time on the bike. And I didn't race last weekend. We canceled because of rain. And uh, it was an opportunity to go and have a good time and, you know, ride hard to work, which I almost never do. So, you know, you got you to gotta remember that, too, is let, let your life dictate everything at the end of the day. Yeah. So what are, what are your feelings about the idea, you know, you kind of have this plan, you want to do this. You know, what are your feelings about skipping a workout or taking a day off that maybe you feel like you should be working, doing work? Doing doing real work, uh, riding your bike. <laughs> oh, that work. Yeah, um, doing work on the bike. <laughs> you know, it's hard. You some sometimes you need to say, "No, I'm going to go train." I shouldn't, but I'm going to go train because I'm committed and I'm 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 invested and I know this workout's not going to be great because I'm tired, but I don't have a better day. It's sunny out. It's going to rain tomorrow. Something like that, you know. And you're going to go. This is the thing, thinking back to the workout I did this week um, or last week. It was horrendously windy. The sun was out. I was tired. I did not want to train. It was going to rain buckets the next day, and I went out and suffered my butt off. And it was it was the right decision, right? And time, and you got to respect your your health and kind of let life dictate what can and can't happen right and part of it is just planning Mm -hmm. if if um yeah walk me through what do you do for your i mean are you still have a coach right yeah but you know you still kind of plan out your week right so i think that's that's a a really important point because i do that i look at my week i look at the weather and i look at where i'm at on my fatigue and my right. fitness and i decide what i'm going to do. so what kind so, of role can that play for especially a new cyclist who's getting into right to so, establishing that pattern. so good planning and honest planning um, and i'm talking about being honest with yourself and your your wife and your girlfriend and your dog. <laughs> um, <laughs> and be honest with yourself about what the week is going to look like and um, you can leave space for your life and you can make space for training and you can look at the weather and you can make a few contingencies and um, if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out and the better you get at it the more often it's going to work out right um, and and, th- that, and that's really key it's it's the the more the more you can be flexible and um, the more often you're willing to ride in bad weather the more willing you're you know you are to I don't know you know make make space to get to bed so you can get up in the morning, that kind of stuff, the more often you're going to get out and get a good workout. And it's, and it kind of starts with planning. Um, and it, and it ends with execution and maybe, maybe the execution falls apart. Maybe the planning didn't go so well. Um, but, but at the end of the day, like those two things together are going to lead to your success or your failure. Yeah. And I'll second that. I think planning my weeks has been huge and planning long-term and other, you know, we mentioned with doing TSS and doing your um, chronic or critical training load and short-term is, you know, I can plan out my week. You know, I, for example, I had a three-week block and I, someone asked me to announce a crit last weekend up at the Northeast Wisconsin Omnium, which was awesome. It was a great event. Dave did quite well there. Um, But I was able to just say, all right, three days off. I'm graduating and I'm going to announce these crits. And it was three days off in a long-term three-week training block, you know. And I was able to fit that in. Uh, You know, I'm going on a trip soon and I've kind of worked in how that's going to work with, you know, these two races I want to target at the end of the week. And so I think that that, I don't know, I feel like I can't stress enough the importance of planning. You can't, you should plan each week. No, you probably, if you want to, if you want to go... If you want to be successful beyond Cat Three, mm-hmm. um, you know you're going to be able to sit in the back of the Cat Three field if you commute to work hard. 
Yes. Most likely. And if you learn how to steer your bike. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. In Crossroads. This is Wisconsin. If you, so. can, <laughs> if you can ride your bike generally well, like if you've done all about biking and you can handle your bike, if you're reasonably fit, you're going to be able to sit in the back of the field and you're going to do fine. But if you want to excel in the threes and into the twos, you are going to have to have that discipline of not just planning week in, week out, but planning so that you are fresh in October. Mm-hmm. And you're fit in October, and you're ready to race, right? And that that yeah, you can't you can't do it any other way, right? So you know, with training, we're talking about you know being fatigued and days you don't want to work out. So you know, what approach do you take for still maintaining the love of cycling and the passion and the desire to to keep wanting to get on the bike? I look around when I'm riding my bike. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I I count my blessings and 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 just love how this place that we get to ride a bike southern wisconsin is the best so i've traveled all over the place ride a bike and um there's no better place to ride a bike in the world i keep making this point to people and slowly they're coming around and so i my my argument on that especially being here in madison is it's madison is small enough that you can get out of town you can go ride some great hills after work yep uh, you can do amazing 100, 120 mile. You can do these amazing rides. Yep. You can go up to Baraboo Hills and you can get some really wicked five, yep. seven minute climbs. Yep. And I just look at places like, try doing that in Denver or Portland. Yeah, you can have great weekend rides, yep. but there's there that's are a kind lot of my of, theory on that. There are a lot of places that are just as good. Yep. Don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, there are some really cool places to ride a bike. But, but that, I mean, that's what keeps me on the bike. That's what keeps me riding. Mm-hmm. Um, that and just seeing where this rabbit hole ends. Yeah, I, I keep getting faster. <laughs> it's great. It's super cool. It's super fun, right? And and I so I've done a lot of challenging physical things over the years, and uh, this tops it, right? And this this uh, this rabbit hole that I'm working down is beautiful. It's amazing mm-hmm. how uh, the harder you work, the faster you get. You see the rewards. You see the progress. And um, until that stops, I'm going to be fascinated and I'm going to keep going after it. And I think that's, I think everybody kind of has that same, that same, you know, I, I love, I love being out on the bike. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's such a cool thing to be doing. Um, and where does this end? You know, how, how far can I take this? That's a good question. You're pretty fast. Well, uh, just, yeah, we're like, I, like I said at the <laughs> beginning, I'm, I think I'm at the peak of my physical abilities about now. And, yeah. And we'll see where this goes. Anyone who's ever ridden with Dave would probably beg to differ at this point. Even some of the guys in the Cat 1 fields that he races against on the road. But uh, that's just me. Well, so here's another question. I, I wasn't going to ask about this, but you also um, have given me good advice on the mental aspect. And you're sure. talking about you know having that positive feedback mechanism. And I can speak to that. I, uh, you know, I came into this year and I was like, oh, I tried a bunch. I was like, I tried to do some road stuff and it's hard. Road is actually much harder. I will go on the record saying <laughs> that as a cyclocross person, like being successful at road racing is much harder, I think, uh, than maybe we give it credit for. It's different. Yeah. Okay. It's different. Yeah. I, I think it's harder. Differently hard. Anyway, so I've had some success <laughs> on the mountain bike. You know, I've had two really good mountain bike races in a row, which yeah. I was not expecting yeah. to happen. And I'm just jonesing. I mean, yeah. it's just like, can I get to camera? Can I get yeah. to Corey? It's like, there's this positive feedback. So, you know, if you're not having, how do you get through those tough times when that positive feedback mechanism maybe isn't there? Oh, and I've struggled with that. Um, big time. I had my first season as a cat too. I had some success and then, um, couldn't handle it the stress the stress of racing at that level was intense it's mm-hmm. incre- it was incredible and i dropped out a bunch of races because of it just a big anxious ball of, <laughs> you know, it, was bad. it was bad it was really bad you know and and at the end of the day, and everybody probably faces that at some level right and you know i talked to a number of professionals that they they talk about that the, the physical part is easy mm-hmm. compared to um the long-term mental fatigue and and the short-term the the the, the, the acute uh, stress that you're under in these incredible race situations uh, and and I don't know my the the thing that's worked for me is a little bit of mindfulness right you gotta you gotta ask yourself what's important in the moment you gotta stop you gotta stop that cycle and and pull yourself back and say wait what am I doing oh I'm racing a bike yeah let's go let's do this let's game on. Right. What's important right now? Keeping the bike up, going fast, getting out of that corner next, in front of the next guy, mm-hmm. um, and let those be the, the the thoughts in your head. 
not the what ifs, not the what's going on, not the five corners away, what's going to happen. You know, you just got to get yourself into the moment and, and stop that cycle of, of anxiety. You know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard, but it's, it's something you can be disciplined about and work your way through. And I think there was a book you recommended at some point. Yeah, I don't remember the name of Maybe it. Maybe that was, it was a couple of years ago. I was having some hard times you would recommend Yeah, it. no. Um, Caleb Swartz has my copy and I oh, want it okay. back. <laughs> So maybe this, I guess, is, maybe is, this, this is me asking Caleb for my book back. We'll find out if Caleb Swartz actually listens I, to Wisconsin. I gifted this. I gifted this book on mindfulness and sport by a uh, professor from UW Madison um, to Caleb before he went off to race worlds in Europe. So I was like, yeah, it's probably a valuable thing for somebody at this stage. You know, of his yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a very it's a little pamphlet almost. Uh, it's a really nice, um, you know, just a really nice simple treatment of. Of some of the concepts of, of um, you know, just giving yourself some space and being mindful about your your yourself when you're competing at a high level. so Or even if you're competing at all, I shouldn't say at a high level, but when you're at a level you have not been at before, right? Yeah. For personally a high level. Mm-hmm. So. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I guess I was kind of getting at, I guess one thing that I've found is that there are days where it's good to just step away and... Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's important. I found that if it's Tuesday and I just literally don't want to step on the trainer, as this this happens during trainer season a lot, especially. Yep. Yep. I just don't want to do it. Yep. And I found that long term, <clears throat> that little drop, that loss in fitness, that disappointment, like long term, I come back Wednesday. I'm like, all right, let's do this. Yeah, you're better. You're better to step back. Say, all right, what's going on? How am I gonna How am I gonna come back from this? And let's get after it. Yeah. And and just let that be okay. Yeah. Well, that concludes part one of our two-part episode on cycling training with Dave Blodgett. Thanks again to Dave for taking the time for joining me for the first ever live edition of Wiscrossin. And also thanks to Dave for the uh, tasty beer that he provided that came with the live edition. Uh, we'll have the second part of our conversation in Wiscrossin number 16, which hopefully we'll have next week for you. And in that one, we'll get a little bit more specific talking about some interval sets that you can do and maybe how to approach uh, the next few months getting ready for the cyclocross season. So thanks again. Uh, Have a great week, and hopefully we'll be back at you next week with episode 16.